Amen. Well, as I was preparing for this message, I couldn't help thinking about this year that we have been walking through. And I think that 2020 might be able to be summed up into two words, disappointment and anxiety. Disappointment that things aren't the way they used to be. Disappointment that things are not the way we want them to be. Disappointment when we look at the world that is not as it should be. We find this disappointment even in the church sometimes. Who would have thought, after all of these months, that we would still be under these restrictions? And we have anxiety about what is to come, wondering what is next. For some, we might be wondering when the next shoe is going to drop. What does the future hold for us? The year began with so much hope and anticipation and excitement as every new year does. And then we started to see a lot of our hopes dashed and our expectations have gone unmet. And now perhaps we may find ourselves even longing for this year to just be over already. Disappointment, anxiety. We look at our world and we maybe even look at our own lives and see nothing that brings joy. So when we hear the echo of our passage this morning in Philippians 4, we want to yell at Paul, who is the writer of this book, and say, really, Paul? Are you joking? But Paul outlines this plan and steps that we can take to find joy and peace and even contentment when it doesn't go as planned. So if you have a Bible with you this morning or on your phone or computer, I'd love for you to turn with me or find um, on your phone Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to start at verse 4. And hear the word of the Lord this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing these things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your concern, you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord, and we thank God for it. Well, right up front in verse 4, Paul tells us to rejoice, not once, but twice. And I think at times we want to sit down and have a little conversation with Paul and say, how can you tell me to rejoice? You don't know what my life is like. You don't know what 2020 is like. This must be some sort of joke. And I wonder if sometimes we forget or maybe we didn't know ahead of time, but Paul knows about struggle all too well. And actually, Paul is writing the book of Philippians from prison with a capital charge hanging over him. And he is writing this to a suffering church that is facing opposition from both outside and inside the church. If anyone had a reason to despair or be upset or be disappointed, it would be Paul. But he doesn't. Instead, he focuses on Jesus. And there, when his eyes are fixed on Jesus, he finds joy. Now, when Paul tells us to rejoice, this isn't just a reminder or even a suggestion. It is actually a command. What Paul is saying is that for those of us who say that we are followers of Jesus, joy is part of our DNA. Joy is part of who we are because it comes from Jesus. But this isn't just something he is telling people to do or saying, well, that's something that you need to do. He is living it out for himself. You see, Paul discovered that joy has nothing to do with our circumstances and has everything to do with our God. True joy is available through Jesus all the time. We can have joy in the middle of whatever we are facing because joy is not focused on our circumstance. It is focused on God's goodness. God is good. And because God is good, we can have joy. But joy is a choice. Do we choose to believe that God is who he says he is? Do we choose to believe that God will do what he says he will do? Will we really, truly choose to believe that God is good? Discovering joy begins right here with our answers to those questions. If our answer is no, then we're right. Paul is just making this up, and joy in the midst of difficulties and disappointment and anxiety is just a dream and can never be a reality. But if the answer is yes, that we trust that God is good and that God is at work 
even when we can't see it, and that God wants to bring good from our disappointments and difficulties, and that God is even in the middle of our worry and anxiety, then joy is possible because of God. Because God is. We can have joy because God Joy then becomes like this act of defiance against the things that are seeking to bring us down. And the joy that Christ gives us changes us from the inside out. This is the kind of joy in the midst of circumstances that people notice. It's contagious. In verse 5, Paul says, Keep your gentle nature so that all people will know what it looks like to walk in his footsteps. This is the gentle spirit that recognizes that just as we may be walking through a challenging times that others might not know about, the same is true for those we come in contact with. They may be walking through a challenging time that we know nothing about. Instead of reacting or overreacting, we respond to others with gentleness because we never know the struggles that others are facing. My dad used to say, what if they're doing the best they can right now? When we think about our disappointments with things not going as we want them, do we think maybe they're doing the best they can right now? Is this how we respond to those difficult reactions with others? I saw a sign this week that said, today you could be standing next to someone who is trying their best not to fall apart. This is what Paul is talking about when he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. This can speak volumes into the life of another person without ever saying a word. When we get to verse 6, though, this is another one of those times that we want to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Paul when he writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests. To God. Now I'm just going to pause for a second here because I want to be sure to be clear. I am well aware of the battle that some face with anxiety. It is easy for us to become worried and anxious. All we need to do some days is turn on the television or hop on Facebook. Anxiety is a real and normal part of our human existence. It is actually our body's natural response to stress, even good stress. But for some, the struggle with anxiety can be best described as a battle. And for many, it is a silent battle. We cannot minimize that. And we must understand this is a very real part of life. For some among us. And as verse 5 reminds us of being gentle in spirit. It can be easy for us to just 
quote this verse at someone who is dealing with anxiety and just leave it there. But I do not believe that is what Paul is trying to do here. I don't believe that Paul is trying to give some sort of empty platitude, and we shouldn't either. At times we quote this verse with the idea that if we just stopped worrying, all of our worry and anxieties would go away. But that is not what Paul is saying. The cares and concerns that we carry are very real. But just as real is the God who wants to share those cares and those worries. It is the God who wants us to bring to him those cares and worries. Just as real is the God that wants to bring us freedom from those worries. But the focus for Paul in this verse is not on the anxiety itself. So we need to understand what he is trying to say. The root word for anxious or worry that Paul uses in Greek literally means to be pulled apart. And that is what anxiety feels like, like we're being pulled apart from the inside out. So if the focus isn't on the anxiety, what does Paul want us to focus on in this verse? Again, as in the verse that comes just before, the focus is on God. This is why Paul doesn't stop with, do not be anxious. He says, in everything, God. Come before God with your worry and anxiety. Bring those thoughts and feelings to Jesus. Paul tells us that our response and our reaction and our weapon against worry is prayer. And he calls us to prayer and praise. To praise God in the midst of our anxiety. But how do we do that? I know that that isn't easy. Paul is telling us to remember, to go back into our memory, to go back into the word of God and to look and see what God has done in the past and trust that the same God who has been faithful in the past is going to be faithful in our present. This confidence in who God is and the gratitude that comes from remembering who he is and whose we are is what helps to put us back together when we are being pulled apart. And the message translation describes this so beautifully for me. It says, let petitions and praise shape our worries into prayers. But how do we do that? How do we shape worry into prayer? Well, when we're worried about something, instead of focusing on the thing that we're worried about, we tell God about it. That's all prayer is, is telling God about it. For example, instead of worrying about a difficult decision that we are facing, we pray, God, I have this difficult decision to make. Will you help me and guide me to the choice you want me to make? 
This is how we can shape our worries into prayers. Take the very thing we're worried about and tell God about it. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes right into this beautiful promise of verse 7 when he says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word that Paul uses here for guard is a military term. The idea is that of a garrison or a number of troops that are surrounding a fortress to protect it. And that is what Paul is describing, how God's peace surrounds and guards our hearts like an army guards a fortress. This peace has the power to relieve anxiety. But it's more than just God giving us peace. What Paul is describing here is God himself, who is peace. He is the one that does the guarding. This is why Paul says that this peace is beyond our understanding. Think about it. God himself guarding us. That is hard for my human mind to fully comprehend. Alfred Lord Tennyson, in his poem, In Memoriam, describes it this way. And here at times, a sentinel who moves about from place to place and whispers to the worlds of space in the deep night that all is well. This is what God whispers as he guards our hearts. All is well. He brings us his sense of wholeness and completeness, his shalom. The message translation puts it this way, that God's wholeness, his everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. And then it goes on. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. This isn't some kind of fairy tale peace or wishful thinking. This can be a reality when we allow Christ to be the center of our hearts and our minds. This is why Paul goes on and he focuses in, he zeroes in on the mind in verse 8 and describes how we can focus our minds on Christ. For those that struggle with anxiety and fear, we know just how dangerous the mind can be. And I was watching a recent Trevecca Nazarene Chapel where one of our former graduates from Community Chapel here is the current student body chaplain. And they said this, anxiety can feel like a silencing uproar, a force that causes your own voice to be suppressed and your inner thoughts to be deafening. It is so hard to overcome those loud what-ifs that never seem to go away. It can be even harder to truly articulate how we are feeling in these moments. The question, how are you, is almost impossible to answer. But thank God that the chaos is not the end of the story. Amen to that. 
One way for us to fight the what-ifs that are never-ending in our minds is to focus our minds on Christ and who he is. This is why Paul lists these whatever things. And he says that we need to be filling our minds and meditating on things that are true and noble and reputable and authentic and compelling and gracious. The best things, not the worst things. The beautiful things, not the ugly things. Things that praise God, not things that curse. When we do this, Paul tells us once again that the God of peace will be with us. This same guarding and protecting peace that he spoke about in verse 6. We're going to jump ahead a little bit to verse 11. And we find yet another one of those times when we want to sit Paul down and have a conversation. In verse 11, he says this, I am not saying these things because I am in need. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance. I know how to survive in tight situations, and I know how to enjoy having plenty. In fact, I have learned how to face any circumstance, fed or hungry, with or without. Contentment? Really, Paul? Do you know what we have lost? Do you know what we have been missing out on? When we think of the word contentment, though, we often wrap it up in the word happy. But contentment isn't really about being happy. It's more like this peaceful ease of mind. It's being satisfied with what you have, whatever that is. And Paul tells us that contentment comes from Christ. Contentment comes when we realize that Jesus is enough. It doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have because you have Jesus and he is enough. But think of all of the brokenness that comes from wanting things you do not have. Pain and sin and stealing and lying and adultery and murder. All of these things point to a heart and mind that is frustrated and discontent. Go all the way back to the beginning, back to the book of Genesis. Before Adam and Eve ate from the tree, they never wanted for anything. Because they had everything that they needed. But as soon as sin entered the world people began to strive for what they did not have. And that brought people and the world to this place of brokenness, a brokenness that we still see today. But this is not what God desires for his people. God desires for you and for I to live in joy and peace and contentment. But contentment doesn't come easily for us. And there are so many voices out there trying to convince us that we need more. The world tries to tell us that we don't have enough. And the world tries to tell us that we are not enough. And if we listen to those voices for too long, it will leave us feeling empty and restless and anxious and depressed, always wanting more, needing more, searching and searching for something to satisfy that longing in our hearts. 
nothing is good enough. But this is not what God desires for his people. Contentment is knowing that God loves you, that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and believing that God in himself is enough. But did you catch what Paul said? He said he had to learn this. This does not come naturally to him or to us. It is a learned attitude and position of the heart. It's as we fix our minds on Jesus that we learn how to be content. Think about Paul in that prison cell. He discovers this beautiful peace, this beautiful place of contentment, even in chains, through the power of Jesus that was at work within him. The truth is, if we're trying to do this on our own, we will never be able to find joy or peace or contentment. And that's what Paul reminds us of in verse 13. Sometimes, though, I wonder if we misunderstand what Paul is trying to say in this verse. It's probably one of the most quoted verses from this section of Scripture. And you, see, you can see it everywhere. You can even see it on signs at sports games, sometimes even written on shoes. But David Garland says this. He says, This verse may sound like a wild-eyed pipe dream and can easily be misinterpreted. Paul does not mean to imply here that Christ is like some magical genie in a lamp who renders us able to do anything we want. Once again, for Paul, the focus isn't on what we can do. The focus is on God. Paul's all things is not about us. It's about finding God-given contentment in all of the ups and downs of life. It's all about God. Hear this verse in the voice translation. It says, I can be content in any and every situation through the anointed one who is my power and my strength. The message translation says, whatever I have, whatever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. We can find contentment and peace and joy in any situation when Jesus Christ is our strength. The word strength in the original Greek literally means to be infused with strength. As we are in Christ, we become infused with his strength and his presence. That is what enables us to find joy. This is what enables us to sense his peace. This is what helps us to be content no matter what we are facing. It takes his power to transform anxiety into joy and peace. It takes his power to turn our wanting for more into contentment. In Christ, we have all that we need. And Christ's strength in us produces something 
greater, far more than the achievement the world tells us we need, it produces contentment. And Christ's strength in us fuels something far more significant than all of our best efforts. It fuels our faith. God deeply desires for you to know fully and deeply within you the joy and the peace and the contentment that comes from knowing him and trusting him. The joy and the peace and the contentment that comes when we place our whole lives in his hands and trust that no matter the circumstance, God is working all things together for good. In all of this, there is one phrase that Paul says that is at the heart of all that we have been talking about this morning. This phrase really holds the key to what we do when nothing is going as planned. It's one small phrase, four simple words. And it is so easy to miss. And actually, it's easy for us to just rush right over those words as we're reading. But they are so important for us. And Paul uses this phrase multiple times in a really short span. And in various ways throughout this entire section of Scripture, Paul is reminding of this, reminding us of this. So what are those four little words? God is with you. Some translations say the Lord is near or the Lord is ever present or God will be with you. Hear that again. God is with you right now. Not someday, not when you get your life together. He is with you no matter where you find yourself. He is with you no matter what you have done. He is near to you even when you don't believe him, even when you don't trust him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, is with you. And he so deeply desires that you would draw near to him so that he could fill your life with his presence and peace and joy and contentment and forgiveness and mercy, and we could go on and on. He wants to fill you with everything he has for you, which is far more than you could ever imagine. No matter what is coming our way next, no matter what the future holds, no matter what we are facing right now in our present, we can face it when we know, really deeply, truly know, deep within our soul that God is with us. When we fix our eyes on him and allow him to fill us with his strength, we can walk through the rest of this year and the rest of this day with the confidence that God is good and God is in control. For some, these last few months have knocked the stuffing right out of you. And for some, the disappointments and the anxiety has shaken you to your core. Some have thought about walking away. Some have wondered if God has turned his back on them. Maybe God has turned his back on the world. 
But this morning, I want to remind you and encourage you that God is with you. Hear the voice of Jesus saying to you today, I am right here. You are not alone. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be disappointed. You don't have to be discouraged. I am right here. Can you hear Jesus whispering that over your heart and mind this morning? Because Jesus is here, we can have joy. Because Jesus is here, we can have peace. Because Jesus is here, we can be content. We can discover this no matter what beyond human understanding, guarding of our hearts and minds, because Jesus is here. And this can be true for your heart and your mind today, even when things don't go as we planned. Let's bow our heads and pray together this morning. God, we want to thank you for your reminder to our hearts today from your word. God, we thank you that your desire for us is to bring us joy and peace and contentment so that we can fully live this life that you have called us to live. We pray today, God, that you would infuse us with your strength that we would be so infused with your strength that we can't help but exude joy and we can't help but feel your peace and we can't help but say, it doesn't matter if things don't go the way I want them to go because I have Jesus and that is enough. God, would you help us to know that we know that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are with us, that you are good, that you are in control. God, today in these moments, we offer to you those places where we are worried, those places where we are anxious, those places where we are discontent, those places where we wonder if you're even doing anything. We offer them up to you. We ask that you would help us to fix our minds on you. That we would sense your guarding of our hearts and our minds. That we would feel your infusion of your strength within us today. We thank you for your word. May it just play in our minds as we walk through this day and this week. Would you remind us that you are with us? Would you remind us that you want our lives to be filled with your joy and your peace and your contentment? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul ends this book with a beautiful prayer that I want to pray over you as our benediction this morning. May you have the settled assurance that God will fully satisfy every need you have. May the abundant riches of God's glory be revealed to you through Jesus Christ. 
May God our Father receive all the glory and honor as you live your life for him. May you continue the journey and may you overflow with his joy. May his strength bring you contentment. May his grace fuel your faith. And you, may you be able to say deep within your soul, in Christ I have all that I need. Amen. <laughs>